World's Finest Podcast, Episode 76. James Doe, and with me, as always, is Michael David Sims. Hello, sir. How are you? I have quite possibly the busiest week in the history of mankind. Yeah. We're here. Yeah, you do. Um, if you don't want to get into it, though, if you still want to keep it close to your chest, I understand. No, that's cool, because it's okay. pretty much a done deal now. Okay. I am, uh, I am buying a house. Yay! Yep. And I'm closing on it Thursday. Uh, I've got the money for the down payment, so that's not an issue or anything. Uh, but uh, the days leading up to Thursday, which will be the day after this goes up on the website, uh, are going to be utter hell, but such is my life. So, <laughs> Other than that, though, I'm really excited, though. That's good. That, that's really good. I don't have anything like that going on, so <laughs> I have nothing to report on. That's all I can say. <laughs> but, uh, no, seriously, congratulations on buying your first home. You know, thank you, um, thank you, thank you. Yeah, now just be prepared to work your ass off. <laughs> As if that's any different from what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think what's going to end up happening is I'm not going to go to school in the fall. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm going to take, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing too well this semester. I've only got two classes and I'm, I, I'm not doing well in either of them. Oh. Something has to get sacrificed and that unfortunately is the low thing on the totem pole, I guess. I can't not work. <laughs> Yeah, you got to do that. <laughs> Otherwise, they take your home away. <laughs> yes, before I even get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, not not to shift gears abruptly, but this is going to be a long show. We have three episode or three stories to talk about, of course, and we have oh a lot of emails. We did receive a couple of voicemails. We're not going to play them in this episode, if only because I sent James the emails so last minute that um, if I would have sent the voicemails along, too, he just uh, wouldn't have had time to listen to them and be able to properly respond. So don't, don't think we're ignoring them. We will play them next time. So uh, let's dive right into these emails. First one is from an anonymous source. There is no name on it. So uh, let's just start it here. As for A Better World on the commentary, Bruce Tim and company said that they had originally written this episode to be about the crime syndicate from the... JLA Earth 2 graphic novel by uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. In the wake of the release of Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, I was wondering if you guys, particularly you, Mike, would have liked the episode any better if it had been the League against the actual crime syndicate. They mentioned that the episode was also inspired by The Authority by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch, but I am no Authority fan, so I cannot judge it on those levels. You know, it, it's hard to say. It, it really is, because that's not what we got, you know, because they could have done a really faithful adaptation and i might have been like this blows sorry i can't address it better than that by the way i saw the latest trailer for iron man 2 and i am now that much more excited about its release however my only gripe with it is that i'm just not a fan of whiplash the first movie featured ironmonger who was a short-lived but very important villain in uh, iron man's rogues gallery but whiplash just seems like a low-level bruiser on the same playing field as spider-man's b-level villains mm -hmm. those being 
all the popular ones other than the Green Goblin, Doc Gock, Venom, and Carnage. I would much rather see the Mandarin introduced instead. And let's face it, he's Iron Man's arch enemy, damn it. You can only hold him off for so long. In an interview, John Favreau said that their version of the Mandarin allows for the introduction of a multitude of villains. Please tell me that this means it's going to be uh, an organization of Stark's foes sitting around a table, each wearing one of the rings. My question to you is, how do you think the Mandarin should be introduced into Iron Man 3 in such a way that he stays in character but does not offend anybody? Well, first up, when it comes to Whiplash... I have a feeling that he's not going to be the big villain of Iron Man 2. I know the trailers and the commercials are making it seem that way, but I think he's going to be kind of minor in the grand scope of things. I don't know who I think the big villain's going to be. I just don't see Whiplash being it. I don't know if they're going to surprise us with someone else, or if it's going to be all those other suits of armor that we see land around Tony and Rhodey as Iron Man and War Machine, if it's going to be the Black Widow, because of course she did, you know, she did start out, at least in the comics, as a Russian spy, so she wasn't always on the good guy side, because this is when, you know, the Cold War was going on. So I don't know, I don't know. I'm a fan of Mickey Rourke, and so even if he is the main villain, I think Rourke will be able to pull it off. As for the Mandarin, the kind of rumor is that we actually saw him in the first movie. That fellow who was holding Stark hostage, the bald guy, if I remember correctly, he's wearing some rings. And that was supposed to be the Mandarin, though it's never said. If I remember correctly, it looks like he dies, but it's comic books, or at least a comic book-related movie. So maybe he didn't, or maybe I'm remembering it wrong, and he didn't die. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'd go with that guy. But I kind of like the idea of, you know, just a cabal uh, with, you know, everybody with one ring representing a group called Mandarin, and not necessarily just one fellow. But we'll have to wait and see. Definitely going to have to wait and see. Oh, and since you guys mentioned Dragon Ball Z in your last podcast, I want to ask something to you, James, and be honest with yourself. Who would win in a fight between Superman and Goku? <laughs> This is absolutely impossible to answer. Anytime anybody asks me this question, I say, you can't answer it. Because for the simple fact that Goku has how many different power levels? Like 6,000 trillion? How, it's like every... And I joke about this in my Anime Clichés article, which you can read at Earth2.net. <laughs> Whenever there's some ridiculously high level of power attained, there's always going to be something beyond that. And Dragon Ball Z is the biggest culprit of this of, of any anime. So, I don't know. I, I, it's just, it's you cannot answer that question. Well, DCAU Superman, he can pull things out of black holes. That's all I'm saying. This is true. <laughs> this is very true. But then again, he also gets shot down by simple laser guns, you know? So. Oh yeah, and don't forget a rope can strangle him. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Lastly, to wrap up this discussion we've been having about the live-action anime films, I just I have just thought of one hit anime that would probably be even less appealing in live-action than Dragon Ball. That's right, you guessed it, a live-action Naruto movie. Hmm. Actually, I'm, I am almost surprised that some greedy Hollywood producer has yet to secure the rights to it, so... In case anyone is, James, would you be so kind as to explain all the reasons why a live-action Naruto film would be a bad idea? And I mean, without bashing the Naruto series itself, of which I, too, am a fan. Thank you. I hope you're not inferring that I am a fan of that series, because I'm not. But from what little I know of the series, if they cut out all of the things about Naruto having that fox demon in, inside his soul or whatever it is, it might work, because... 
I don't think early on there's a whole lot of flashy energy shooting ridiculousness like in Dragon Ball Z. So maybe it could work. But then again, I have to think back to Mortal Kombat Annihilation where you've got so many characters and it would just be some humongous clusterfuck. So eh, maybe it could work if they cut out about 75% of the cast. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I guess, I guess I would lean towards it wouldn't work just because they would just have to cut out too much or too many characters. So, uh, but I won't bash the series, even though I'm not a fan of it. Next one is from Kevin who writes, Hey guys, I was wondering if you could uh, settle me an argument between uh, a few of my friends and myself. I've tried time and time again to explain to them why Batman could kick Spider-Man's ass. No matter what I say, they still claim that Spider-Man is better. What is your stance on this? Thanks in advance. I actually had this discussion probably about a year ago with a female friend of mine. And I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but shortly after she and I had this discussion, we kind of stopped talking to each other. <laughs> but okay. she was of the opinion that Spider-Man was a loser and that he was a crap character and that Batman would kick the shit out of him. And I was sort of like... Okay, Spider-Man, he has extraordinary powers, and he has his webs, and he knows how to use them, and he's a really great fighter. And Batman, he, he's a better fighter. You know, he's trained himself to be at the peak of human perfection, and he's taken down guys as strong as or even stronger than Spider-Man. If you just look at it that way, it's, it's sort of a, a, a toss-up. You know, like, okay, well, which way will it go? And there's that fanboy part of me that wants to be like, well, you know, Batman's Batman, and hey, who can he beat, James? Jesus! <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought it was, you could, oh, no, he's richer than God and he can beat Jesus. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, I mean, yeah, there's that fanboy part of me that wants to say Batman could do it, and I'm trying, I don't know, I don't have an answer, and I'm trying to talk myself into an this answer. This is like the Superman-Goku argument. Yeah. Answer. Okay, in... A real world where a Spider-Man and a guy dressed like a bat fought, Spider-Man would win. If only because he could get the distance from Batman and he could just web the shit out of him. And just trap him against a wall, disable the utility belt. So Spider-Man has that. And I think Spider-Man would win it, again, in the real world. <laughs> but in the comic book world... Batman would probably take it, if only because it's kind of expected. Sorry to kind of sit on the fence there, but it's it's what I have to do. It it really could go either way. James, re real quick, who do you think would win in a fight? My fanboyism would want me to say Batman, but I just, with the spider sense, being able to sense the Batarangs flying at him, you know, just stuff like that, I would have to give the edge to Spider-Man, I think. Well, that's the whole thing. Like, when Superman fights Batman, it's like... You know, Superman could really just fly up in the air, use his heat vision, destroy the utility belt, and sure, that leaves Batman with his fighting skills and whatever else he has hidden in his outfit, but, okay, Superman still has super speed. He swoops in, gently punches him, you know, not like knocks his head off, and knocks the guy out. You know, that's why I'm never super keen on when, you know, Batman beats the Man of Steel. I mean, once or twice is okay, but consistently, come on. Come on, I'm not asking for Superman to roast the guy. No, 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 that's out of character. But, again, get some distance and take him out using the heat vision and the speed, and it's over. You know, and Spider-Man has the speed and the strength 
on on Batman, and he knows how to fight from a distance. So that that's all I'm saying. I think I'm talking myself into a Spider-Man victory here. You know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna choose a side. Spider-Man. If Spider-Man's dumb enough to get into close combat fighting, it's Batman. But Spider-Man's not gonna do that. He's gonna he's gonna attack him from a distance. Yep. There we go. All right. Next one's from Brian. Writes uh, regarding Maid of Honor. Regards to the possibility of Vandal Savage funding the station, being alive as long as he has, he's probably amassed quite a fortune and money can buy discretion. I mean, very few people have been able to follow the money from Bruce Wayne to Batman. Quite true. Hearts and minds. Not 100% sure on this since I'm going by the audio clip before the review, and I don't feel like pulling out the episode to check, but if the people who jumped him had run off, how did Despero know he was the only one who could hear Pytar? And I wonder if they did ask John Stewart's landlady to join after Starcrossed. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that'd been awesome. Just having the well, she she was like a she was Asian, right? Yeah, yeah, old, just having a little Chinese lady or yeah, something. Just, just having a Chinese landlord with a broom chasing villains down the street. <laughs> that'd be great. I'm sure she could give the weather wizard a run for his money. <laughs> yes. Uh... And a better world. I'm a bit shocked by Mike's dislike of the episode since he has. Everybody hated... was. Everybody. Go to the forums and look at the thread. <laughs> since he has stated before of being a fan of alternate reality stories, I know that alone doesn't make a good episode, and I can see his point of view, but still a little shocked. Shouldn't Jean have known Wonder Woman was supposed to say the password for reading Joker's mind? And during the fight between the Batman in the cave. At times, it is hard to tell who's talking, and while if you keep track of the dialogue, you can you can understand it, there are still some lines that really could be either one of them. Well, if you actually listen to the commentary on that episode, uh, I think it's Bruce Tim says that that's on purpose because Kevin Conroy's not doing anything different with the voice, really. Like maybe just a little, but not much. And so they wanted it to be sort of confusing because you could almost imagine are Batman saying some of these things? All right. Next one is from Reese, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, it's not the best explanation in the world, but in Maid of Honor, Audrey told Diana that the space project had put Kaznia in major debt and the lower classes were ticked off. Still, I'm not sure how a tiny country could be the main finance uh, financer. And as hearts and minds goes, move on. I was a bit surprised by Mike's review of A Better World. Hey! <laughs> but like you, James, I can't argue with his points. It deeply touched me, just not like Despero's third eye. <laughs> P.S. On A Better World, when Flash is outside Arkham Asylum, was he talking to a lobotomized gardener poison ivy? Yep. Yes, he was. <laughs> I don't know how we forgot to mention that, but yeah, we did. I know, I know. I don't know. How, ugh, it bugs me that we didn't mention it, but hey, there it is now. Next one's from Derek. Writes, dear gentlemen, as always, the latest podcasts have been excellent, as is par since podcast number one. Um, uh, yeah. uh, have you gone back and listened to number one recently? Yeah. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, and we're telling you not to listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you probably have a ton of emails, so I keep this fairly brief. First, I received the first season of BTAS on DVD for Christmas. I've started watching it. The original episodes came out while I was in college. Uh, again, since, well, the episodes originally aired. I've, after watching a single disc, I will listen to your original WFP episodes, and they still hold, uh, they still hold up. I completely agree with the statement Mike made a couple of podcasts ago when I believe he said, it's been interesting watching Batman's development from a guy who can fight only one person at a time, no matter how big or small, to the complete badass who broke into Cadmus' war room without so much as a peep. I was watching one of the first uh, BTAS, BTAS episodes, Underdwellers, and saw Batman fall into a manhole without looking where he was going. <laughs> I probably said, what the fuck, it's Batman, before remembering that BTAS is supposed to take place several years before JL and JLU. Yeah. And Bruce is still learning. 
so even in retrospect, the older WFP episodes hold up extraordinarily well. It is most enjoyable listening to both the old and new podcasts at the same time. Congrats. And on to the main comment. Fuck the briefness, sorry. <laughs> Watching Jail and JLU, I was struck by how weak Sinestro was. I have not been following every detail of the Sinestro Corpse War in the Darkest Night, or yeah, I think it means Blackest yeah. Night. But it is my understanding that Sinestro is one of the biggest badasses in the universe yes. even 20 years ago. Yeah. Now he just shoots a tiny yellow ray and follows Gorilla Grodd. In fact, I think he is the top character when it comes to power differences uh, between the comics and the DCAU. Do either of you see this as well, or am I just imagining things? If so, who do you think has either lost the most influence or power from the comics to animation, or vice versa? Again, thank you, gentlemen, for the fine podcast, and until Basket Robbins releases that 30-second flavor that the question found, it continues to be a pleasure. <laughs> thank no, you, sir. Yeah, I mean, th think about what James said. I think it was... In my was summary? Of... Was it was it the last time? Uh, yeah, Secret Society. Yeah, where Batman took him out with a batarang, like and he was glowing yellow. Yeah, <laughs> he had a shield around him. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So no, I, I absolutely agree. Sinestro is almost being played as I don't want to say a joke, but he's not being taken as seriously as he should be. Now, granted, these episodes of the Justice League were produced years before Sinestro Corps War and then Blackest Night. So he wasn't rebuilt up as this super badass, but he should still be someone on par with anybody in the Green Lantern Corps, specifically the Green Lantern we know, John Stewart. You know, because at one point he was a Green Lantern. He was was one of, if not the best Green Lantern of all time until he decided that, you know, he kind of wanted to reshape the universe. He wanted to control it, uh, bring order to it more accurately. All right, next one is from Brian writes, Greetings once again. I thought I would ask the experts of Batman Beyond one question. Does Bruce have two Batman Beyond suits? In the uncut version of Return of the Joker, during the scene in which Terry throws the suit at Bruce's feet and runs up the stairs, there is one suit sealed in one of the glass cases. Is future Bruce an obsessive-compulsive speedster in the future and seals uniforms away in the blink of an eye? I was just wondering whether it was a goof or a reused cell animation. Thanks again for the podcast, Brian. That was a goof. Yeah, it's a goof, but it's a goof you can almost justify. Because that suit is so technologically advanced, it, would, it fits the reason that Bruce has other versions of it, prototypes, let's say. I can absolutely buy Bruce having backups laying around, and one of them just happens to be the one in the case. But it was still a screw-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Next one's from Christian, who writes, Hey guys, I recently saw Superman Doomsday for the very first time. Just about everything that needs to be said about that film was covered in James's review of it, so I will just add that the farmer guy James thought he recognized from the DCAU was the boyfriend of John D's wife from Only a Dream. Yes! That was it. Also, to import a gag from For Your Ears Only, Superman looks older in this movie than Roger Moore did in A View to Kill. <laughs> nice. On another note, Mike, you said that, that Tim Burton laid the groundwork for camp in the Schumacher-directed Batman films by placing some in the 89 Batman film. Yes. Well, I do agree there's camp in that film. Are you sure it was Burton rather than the producers who put stuff in, like the museum vandalism scene with the Prince music? They were, after all, the ones who gave the movie more scenes with Vicky Vale and that long-ass climb up the cathedral. Plus, I didn't see any camp in Batman Returns in which Burton had a lot more free reign and less producer interference. It still is a shitty film, though. P.S. Are there any episodes of Earth2.net to show that feature James ranting about Captain Planet or Scooby-Doo? <laughs> 
Yes on the former, no on the latter. Yeah. Uh, we really should do a Captain Planet follow-up to WFP. Oh, my gentle Christmas Jesus. <laughs> I can feel James's glare coming through the internets at me. <laughs> um, okay, as it pertains, pertains to Tim Burton and the campiness um, in the original Batman movie, the reason I feel it's Burton and not the producers, who did have a very heavy hand in shaping that picture, that's absolutely true. Yeah, if you just look at his other films, like Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Edward Scissorhands, and, and look at the the style in those films and some of the campiness in those films, and then you look at his Batman film, it's it's not that dissimilar. That's why I really feel it was Burton's decision and not the producer's decision. And I have a follow-up email from Brian here. writes, on Eclipsed, the Heart of Darkness is also called the Dark Heart, same name used to describe the alien device in the JLU episode of the same name. I doubt there's any connection, though. As to the lights turned on after the generator destroyed, that I can rationalize since the station's construction, and I assume design, was funded by Batman, who would have contingency plans for his contingency plans. <laughs> Why okay, not? So Batman has six backup generators, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'll go with it. Whatever. <laughs> And on the Terror Beyond, the Defenders parallels, Hawk Girl could be Nighthawk. Grundy even calls, calls her Bird Nose, which yeah. is the same thing Hulk called Nighthawk. Hawk Girl noticing the Thanagarian symbols and asking fate about them is another instance of something seeming to be normal curiosity, but it has a different spin after seeing Starcrossed. As to Teen Titans, like Superman and the Terror Beyond, I'm on the fence on whether or not it is in continuity. I can see the arguments for either side. That said, I wasn't a big fan of the show originally, mainly due to the art style. However, I have seen reruns, especially of the later seasons, that have changed my mind slightly. Even if that wasn't the case, though, I'd still listen to the WFP episodes focusing on the show just because I enjoy listening to both of your opinions and insights on the shows. Hey, you know what I should bring up right here? What's that, Mike? I should bring up the fact that World's Finest Podcast now has two t-shirts that are, well, Teen Titan-themed. Okay, no matter what camp you're in, whether you believe that Teen Titans is not in continuity, or if you believe that it is in continuity, if you go to worldsfinestpodcast.com slash store, or earth2.net slash store, that's earth-number2.net slash store, you'll be redirected to an off-site store, that's why it's redirected, and there you can buy one or both <laughs> of our Teen Titan-themed t-shirts. Of course, one says not in continuity, the other one says in continuity, and they are done in the Teen Titans font. And I should say that you can buy these as men's t-shirts for $20 each, women's t-shirts for $21 each, or as hoodies for $37.50 each. So please, again, go to worldsfinestpodcast.com slash store or earth2.net slash store to be redirected to our store to buy these. And there will be more shirts in the future. I just felt that, hey, Teen Titans is coming up. It's the perfect time <laughs> to finally post these designs. So this way, by the time we get to episode, what is it, 78 when we start Teen Titans? Yes, it is. Yeah, 78. You can, you know, if you order your shirt now, you can, you can have it ahead of time. Um, so yes, please, please, please go buy those. I think you guys will absolutely love the designs. Yeah, the designs are awesome, folks. It's got the font that the Teen Titans uh, title card is in. It has in continuity or not in continuity, depending on which camp you fall in. Mm -hmm. And they are awesome. Yes. 
does. I, I put a lot of work into them, so I hope people like them. Because I couldn't find that font. So I actually had to go in and, like, take other letters and, like, reconstruct certain letters, like a C. There's no C in Teen Titans. So I had to, I had to like, break all the letters down and, and make certain ones. So, yes, 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 yes. Check them out and buy them, please. Continuing the emails here, the next one is from Corey, who writes, I'm a fan of the show, and after hearing you guys talk about it on multiple occasions, I finally read Justice League Tower of Babel, and it was great. Not to spoil anything, but I liked the epilogue with Tim and Dick. Keep up the good work, guys, and I can't wait till you review Starcrossed. Well, you won't have to wait very long. Nope. Uh, next one is from Dylan, who writes, Hey guys, decided to send another one after listening back to episode 48 of WFP. James was saying that he heard some not-so-good things about Zeta, but said he wanted to see it before making it. An opinion. I was just wondering why he would do that with Zeta, but not with Smallville. That's all I really want. Say he loved the podcast. He's kind of got you to... there, my friend. Well, I can always use the excuse that I don't have jack shit for time to do anything. <laughs> and I don't. And now I'm going to have a house to decorate and uh, move shit into, so I have even less time. Yep, yep. Uh, last one today. Again, Dylan sent another email. That's cool. We like reading these. Okay, I was so I was watching Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker for episode forty-nine, uh, your review for that movie, and I realized an animation flub that you guys did not notice in the first scene with the Joker uh, that the Joker was in. He is taking the Jokers to the computer. He looks over at Ghoul as he speaks, and you can see his mouth, but it isn't moving. It's just the creepy, toothy Joker grin. And I was wondering if you realized that you could get the Zeta Project season one from Netflix. Thanks again. You know, I'm going to get the Zeta Project one of these days just to, you know, add it to my collection and all, but not not high on the priority list right now. I'm still waiting for the Static Shock seasons, really. I'd buy that before Zeta. And don't get me wrong, you know, we, we both kind of liked Zeta. You know, it definitely had its moments. Oh, it had shitty moments, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it had plenty of those. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'd want to own Static first. This is Snapper Carr returning to our continuing coverage of the death of Superman. I'm here at First Metropolis Cathedral where just hours from now, services will be held for the world's greatest hero. In addition to friends, colleagues, and loved ones, heads of state from over 400 countries are expected to attend today. In the streets of Metropolis, as in cities all over the world, thousands have gathered to pay their last respects to the Man of Steel. Our all-day live coverage will conclude following Superman's ceremonial interment later this evening. Afterwards, our panel of commentators and pundits will debate the question on everyone's lips. Without Superman, can there be a Justice League? Our coverage of the death of Superman will continue. First up today is Hereafter. In episode one, it opens up in a very creepy way with the quintet of villains in brown robes agreeing to a pact to kill Superman once and for all. And they lower their hoods, and we see uh, Toy Man, Calabac, Weather Wizard, Metallo, and uh, <sighs> Livewire. <laughs> yes, so they all stick knives into the table with a painted Superman logo on it, and thus ends the shortest opening sequence ever. Yeah. After the title sequence, uh, sequence we just immediately jump into action, where the five aforementioned villains are trashing the city blocks around the Daily Planet, Toy Man unveil, uh, unveils his giant ro toy robot thing with suction cup dart explosives, and Green Lantern is the first to arrive on the scene, and uh, Batman's flying towards the place. Wonder Woman and Flash arrive, and they get rid of Metallo first, and they start taking down the villains one by one. Batman takes down Weather Wizard, 
Calabac attempts to attack Batman, but Batman will have none of this as he uses his, I guess, his judo techniques mm-hmm. to stall him until Superman just hovers down and Calabac's like, aww. <laughs> it's punched right in the face, all the way down the street. And uh, Superman says, no, you couldn't have taken Batman either. So Toy Man, at this point, opens up the chest panel of his giant robot to reveal this humongous disintegrator weapon. And he starts firing it indiscriminately at the crowds in the city. But Batman and Superman are able to save everyone from being hit by it. And Superman uh, is next seen just taunting Toy Man, saying, you're never going to hit me with that thing. But then Toy Man turns the weapon towards Wonder Woman and Batman, because Wonder Woman had been previously... Uh, had the shit kicked out of her by Calabac. And uh, as Toy Man uh, fires the weapon again, Superman just flies in and uh, takes the full force of the blast, and it just vaporizes him. He is gone. Uh, All that's left is a shred of his cape. And everyone, everyone just stands around in utter horror and silence until uh, Wonder Woman finally breaks the silence by leaping at Toy Man's robot annihilates it and she is going to kill him she just picks him up and is going to turn his head into dust uh flash stops her saying that's not what we do to our enemies superman wouldn't have wanted her to do that and uh the death of superman is just it's played on every major network and uh all the pundits and everything everybody are left to wonder you know can there be a justice league without superman batman however is doing what he does sleuthing, studying footage of the attack, and Alfred walks up behind him and says it's time, meaning to go to the funeral, but Batman's like, no, I'm not going. He's not dead. He says that while he was studying all of the crime scene objects, he found no radiation, burn marks, anything that would lead to believe that something was disintegrated because objects were here and then they just disappeared without a trace. So if the law of conservation of mass still applies, then Superman is still alive somewhere. Alfred isn't convinced, and, uh, he urges Bruce to attend the funeral, but he says, I have work to do. The funeral is attended by heroes from all over the world and all over the galaxy. And unfortunately, it is also attended by Lex Luthor, which infuriates Lois, who is, of course, there. And she just walks right up and smacks him right in the face. But uh, as she starts breaking down into tears, Luthor comforts her and says that he'll miss him, too. Jean gives the eulogy, and they carry the uh, empty casket to a memorial for him in Metropolis Park. And on the way, Diana does spot Batman in shadow on a rooftop. Uh, we go aboard the Watchtower, where the other five leaguers are sharing their laughs about Superman's exploits. Green Lantern's talking about how he held a grenade in his hand, and it just blew up. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> and uh, it's at this point they start discussing, what are they going to do? Are they, how are they going to replenish the forces? And they suggest Supergirl and Metamorpho and Aquaman. But uh, they are then rather rudely interrupted by the one, the only, Lobo! <laughs> Woo! Yeah. He just bursts through the window and proclaims himself the newest member of the JLA, which uh, does not sit well with any of them. And uh, he just starts running amok on the space station while back on Earth, Batman walks up to the Superman memorial and just says... Another dead end. And it's this point Batman does start to question himself and wondering if he might be wrong. And he then speaks in spirit to Superman, saying despite their differences, he had nothing but respect for him, and he actually learned a lot from Superman. His uh, soliloquy is interrupted by an explosion from downtown Metropolis. So he hops in the Batwing and takes off. 
and Lobo's still wreaking havoc in the watchtower until finally Diana just puts an end to his nonsense by slamming his face into a wall. <laughs> and they tell him to get the fuck out of there, and they don't want or require his services. And Jill says, uh, you might want to hold back on that. So they start seeing footage of Metropolis under siege. They fly down with Lobo in tow, and Batman has already been taken down uh, by Livewire. She just electrocuted him while he was trying to apprehend Copperhead. The League actually gets taken down one by one by one by these guys until Lobo finally jumps onto the scene and starts a rather hilarious brawl with Calabac. Okay, I I gotta jump in here real quick. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I love how Lobo throws a car on top of Calabac, and then before the car has a chance to crush Calabac, he then jumps on the car. Yeah. (laughs) And just pile drives him basically into the ground. (laughs) It's great. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just had to say that. Oh god, I know, but this is this is where one of my favorite exchanges ever occurs and Lobo utterly beats the shit out of Calabac and uh they one by one take down the villains and apprehend them and uh the league's like, Where's Lobo? So they go we pan over and we see Lobo just stacking cars on top of Calabac's <laughs> body and he's like, Say it, say it and he's like Uncle <laughs> I can't hear you So <laughs> Caught girl flies in and she's like, he's beaten. Put the car down. So Lobo's like, hey, pretty impressive, huh? When you need, when you've got Lobo, who needs Superman, right? And, uh, the league looks very dejected and they all bow their heads and the scene fades to this barren desert area where we see Superman under some rubble and a red sun. And that's the end of episode one. I gotta say, I love this first part. What I love about it is that it starts out like any normal episode, like any normal day for the Justice League. You know, they they go to fight. I mean, you know, once we get past the credits, I mean, you know, they they Mm -hmm. go to fight this, you know, mishmash of Superman villains and they're holding their own. Then, like it happens in real life, before you know it, some terrible accident has happened and one of their teammates is gone. They think forever. So I, I like how the producers captured real life there. Because you never know when death is coming. And, you know, like, y'all know I read comic books. And, you know, sometimes it's exciting to see, you know, in this issue, someone will die. But it's it's also exciting just to open up the book not knowing that that's going to happen. And then, boom, there's this big death in quotes because uh, in comic books and as in this two-part story here, death is not always permanent. So that's great. And then it becomes this very somber uh, story for a good probably about like mm, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes. And then out of the blue, we forget our sorrows because we're distracted by Lobo. And it starts to become a funny episode. But then right at the end... Well, not right at the end, but before we see Superman laying in the rubble, it gets somber again for a brief moment. Because as you said, Lobo says, oh, with, you know, me on your team who needs Superman. And everybody, including Batman, lowers their head like, oh, damn. You know, so you kind of come to think that in that moment, they sort of forgot that that they were mourning. Like, they were distracted for, for the briefest of instance. And... Then we cut away to this awesome cliffhanger that shows us where Superman is. I mean, just the structure of this one is brilliant. And they pull it off, I gotta say, with 
I don't think, a single flaw. I honestly did not write down, nor can I think of off the top of my head, a negative thing to say about this one. I wish I wish I could say that. I okay. agree with you. I love this episode. Mm-hmm. As a whole, I love this episode, both parts. But as much as I do love this episode, I can't get over how no one figures out immediately after that Clark Kent is Superman. Okay. I Okay, I didn't write that down as a negative, but I did note that the Kents are at the funeral... And they're very sad, right. So, at the very least, you think Lois Lane would look over and go, why are Clark's parents here crying? Oh my God, I don't know where Clark is. Holy shit, you know? So, okay, okay, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, for me at least, I, I can kind of overlook that. I really can. That's rare to hear you say that because I think I'm normally the one that's able to just kind of overlook things like this. But you know, I don't know. I just don't know if I can overlook this as a, as a negative. But it's not like it's glaring or anything. I'm not trying to make the bring the episode down because I mm-hmm. this is this is easily in my top three Justice League season one or two episodes. Oh, I could see that wholeheartedly. Yes. I mean, and no one notices again that Kent is missing after the funeral either. <laughs> You know, you yeah. would, you would think you would think that Clark Kent would be covering the death of Superman. <laughs> yeah, you think. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, my God, this episode as a whole is so so freaking awesome. Just out of nowhere, you get Lobo, fucking Lobo. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Almost kills the entire league in the process of yeah. trying to join them. <laughs> uh-huh. And I don't mean the fight. I mean create. You know, bust the vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Lobo. And then he puts the, the morning armband on as a headband. Yeah. <laughs> that is brilliant. And then when they're flying down to Earth, he's like, all right, uh, dibs on any bounties, all right? You need to be quiet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the Hawk Girl Lobo interactions where she just clobbers him with the mace and then keeps threatening to clobber him with the mace after that. And yep. he backs off. I mean, this is a guy that can go toe-to-toe with Superman. We've seen it in the cartoon. And he's kind of afraid of Hawkgirl and her strength. Because <laughs> remember in the past, I, I noted that um, Superman and Wonder Woman were like pushing a ship or something. And they didn't tip it over. Yeah, it was the Vandal Savage one. And it was that, t- that one-wheeled tank. And it didn't fall over until uh, Hawkgirl added her strength to the mix. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize she was that strong. Well, this episode says, yeah, she is, because she's taking out Lobo. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff there. And this episode, I didn't write any of them down outside of You Need to Be Quiet Now. But this episode had a lot of great lines. Like I said, it, I mean, some sad lines, some funny lines. The the speech Batman gives at the memorial when he's alone. Oh, yeah. About how, what's he say? You showed me justice can come not only from the dark or something like that. It's like, wow. Just, I mean, despite our differences, I had nothing but respect for you. I hope you knew. And then he stops himself and is sad. And he says, no, that. Mm-hmm. He's trying to convince himself that. He's, he could still be right. Right, yeah, I mean... You can tell, you can tell he's, one, oh, he's like, oh, man, I, I might be wrong. Mm-hmm, he might mm-hmm. be gone. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very, very deep, very powerful moment because, you know, you know, in, in Batman the Animated Series, Gotham Knights, and, and now in, in Justice League, we get to see a really cool Batman. 
You know, always doing nifty things, you know, like, like in World's Finest, you know, when he shoots the grapple into the air and it hooks onto this jet and he goes flying away right in front uh-huh. of Superman and Lois. And, you know, it's like, we see shit like that all the time from him, but it isn't often we, I mean, and yeah, they did this in Batman, the anime series, but it's been a while, I should say, since we've really gotten into his head and saw the more human side of Batman. And and when we do, especially here, it's always powerful. Minor animation glitch here. There was uh, when GL is, you know, he's a pallbearer along with the rest of the the Justice League there, and he's wearing that robe cape thing. He and he's wearing it in one pan, and then when they get up to the memorial, he's not wearing it anymore. Ooh. I don't know what happened there, but and your shirt was John because there were a lot of Green Lanterns there. Oh, it was definitely John. Okay, okay. I mean, while we're speaking about the Green Lanterns here. Of course, they show up, and Hal Jordan's one of them. Hal Jordan, there's, he's, he's just standing there talking to some of the other Green Lanterns. Are you sure that was Hal? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, not, I'm not uh, trying to disagree with you here, because I, I, I remember looking at that grouping, and I thought I saw one of the ones that got killed in Hearts and Minds. No, I, I, I didn't see them there, because remember after we, you know, when we were recording that one, I said, didn't they come back as part of that huge Green Lantern Corps um, shot that we see when they're trying to fight Amazo in The Return or whatever it's called. And I went ahead and I looked at that episode, or an, a screen cap of that episode, and they're not in there. So they're being consistent with those guys being dead. And yeah, there's there's one Green Lantern we only see the profile of, and it's not Abe Lincoln guy with the beard. It's a, a human, you know, clean-shaven Green Lantern that I have to believe is Hal Jordan. Okay. What do you think of Luthor being at the funeral? I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, on the one hand, I see how, you know, he's been he's been given a presidential pardon so he can and he's pretty much king of Metropolis, mm-hmm. I guess in so, somewhat and even though he doesn't have LexCorp anymore, but so I can see him going there, but still, I mean, it's very clear that all these heroes have fought him how many times now? So I just I, I don't know if he would how he would even be allowed in there. You know what? I I'm with you. I kind of have mixed feelings on it. But I, I I don't mind it. I really don't. I think that he meant what he said to Lois, that he's going to miss him. I think he's going to miss the challenge yes. that Superman presented him. You know, in, in truth, there's few people who can rival Lex Luthor. But Superman, I, I think it was sort of fun for Luthor fighting Superman physically and mentally. And now that he's gone, it's sort of like what would happen to the Joker if he lost Batman. It's it's that same thing. And Luthor has been presented with that, and he realized that the one thing that he thought he always wanted, the destruction, the death of Superman, he truly didn't. It's the whole be careful what you wish for syndrome. But at the same time, it, it is a little weird to see him show up. But I thought it was a nice touch, because it really makes you examine the character and his psyche. And I don't take issue with the superheroes not confronting him because it should have been Lois, as it was. Uh, If a superhero did it, we risk, even if it didn't happen, we risk getting it it into our heads that there's going to be this big brawl. And, you know, the superheroes know better than that. They respect Superman more than that to, to do that at his funeral. But when it's Lois, you know, there, there's so much more impact there. And uh, I Especially think because Dana Delaney is an acting goddess. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again for uh, having. What was the name of the magazine that she's on the cover of? More magazine. More magazine. What is she wearing? A, a uh, like a unbuttoned button-up shirt and just underwear. Yeah, yeah. If that woman. You, yeah. That woman just absolutely gets more beautiful with age. It's amazing. Yeah. If any of you haven't seen that, Google it. You know, <laughs> uh, no, and I'm not saying that in, you know, the perverted Mike kind of way. I'm, I'm honestly saying, I mean, it's a very beautiful, sultry, natural, just natural. But natural, not oversexed kind of image. You know, it's not like it's something you'd see in Playboy or you'd see in like a music video nowadays where it's just sex, sex, sex. It's just, look, here's this woman in her 40s or 50s, maybe even. She's in her 50s now. So 50s. And look how sensual. That's a better word uh, than what I used before. Uh, how sensual she really is. So, yeah, now I'm distracted by that <laughs> image. Anyways, there's perverted Mike again. Um, <laughs> what were we saying? Uh, no, no. Yeah, bring Whoops. it back to her, her lowest character. Her performance there is so good. Uh, you really buy that Lois is, she's broken beyond belief. And it's such a short scene. But in that short scene, she absolutely made it believable. And getting away from the super sad, serious mm -hmm. moments here, back to Lobo, I said earlier that uh, his fight with Calvac, just that whole exchange when he jumps into the scene is one of my favorite in all of DCAU lore. Yeah. He's just like, he just, he throws the car on top of him, jumps on top of it, it blows up, and he's just like, <laughs> Calvac just gets out of the rubble and he's like, I'm going to grind you into paste. And Lobo's just like, awful brave talk for a dead man. <laughs> Calvac says, I'm not dead yet. So Lobo, Lobo just looks at his wrist and he says, you're right, my, my watch is 10 seconds fast. Just, my God. And then he, and then what's great is Calvac's holding a car, right? And then Lobo picks up two other cars and smashes not Calabac, but the car that Calabac's holding, causing all three to explode on Calabac and himself. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's actually, and that where he picks the two cars up with uh, one hand each, yeah. that's a callback to Superman the Animated Series. I remember saying this back when we were, I can't remember what episode it was, but Superman actually lifts two cars with his hands and smashes somebody like that. Ah, nice. Let's see, I'm looking at some of my other notes here. Unless I'm mistaken, we had a new voice for Livewire that didn't sound like Tank Girl or whatever the hell her name is. I don't know the actress's real name. I can't remember who it was either, but you're right. The voice was a lot higher pitched. And I think we had a new voice for, shoot, uh, the Weather Wizard maybe? He didn't sound yeah. the same. Yeah, because remember, Miguel Ferrer did his voice in... Superman the Animated Series, so yeah. he definitely wasn't doing that here. Let's see, Calabac was the same, Metallo was the same, Toy Man was the same too, right? I think so. His might have been different, but I can't, without having the cast list in front of me, confirm that or anything. Yeah, um, and since I just mentioned Toy Man, I might as well bring this up. Do you think that his mech was supposed to be sort of a take on Optimus Prime? If you think about the color scheme... Yeah. It kind of looked Optimus Primey, and the opening of the chest is sort of like when he pulls out the, what's that thing called from the movie, that, you know, the thingy in his chest. I don't, oh, really, I don't, I don't remember what that fucking thing's called. I mean, I haven't seen that movie probably since I saw it in the theaters, <laughs> which was probably about 1984, maybe, so, yeah. Uh, what the fuck is that thing called? 
I know there's I, I know there's a ton of people, including Mike Blanchard, screaming at their iPods right now. Ugh. Sure. Uh, what is it? Anyways, something else I enjoyed about this episode was, again, just a little touch. Uh, when Wonder Woman's getting ready for the funeral, you know, she's got on her ceremonial garb. I thought that was great. And uh, her mom shows up. And yeah. I don't think we ever see her mom at the funeral, but she's there at the very least to console her daughter before she goes to the funeral herself. Made more powerful by the fact that Diana is still in exile. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I'm not holding this against the episode at all, but I wish we could have seen more heroes there. I mean, we get the heroes we've already seen. Orion, Aquaman, Aquaman, uh, what's Aquaman's, uh, Mira is his wife's name, right? Yeah. Fate, uh, Fate and Enza, right. And, and I'm sure there were a couple other, I'm forgetting, Alfred and Tim show up. But it would have been kind of cool if, like, Static was in the background with Richie. Yes, yes. You know, and just, just bring in a few cameos that, you know, again, just people we haven't seen so far. Uh, oh, of course, Supergirl was there, but she was in her secret identity. She was sitting next to the Kents. But, yeah, like, have just a blonde-haired guy with kind of a pointy goatee sitting next to a blonde woman. Green Arrow, Black Canary. Just little touches like that. Again, not holding it against it at all. I'm just, that's my fanboy side saying, I, you know, it would have been nice to, to see that. Now, there's one thing I want to bring up that I don't, like, sometimes I think it's a mistake and sometimes I don't. And upon this viewing, I don't think it's a mistake, but it needs to be said. When the battle with the villains starts, it's daytime, but then suddenly it's nighttime. And sometimes, I th again, sometimes I think that's a mistake, but here I'm thinking that was the weather wizard just making yeah. it extremely overcast. Yeah. Um, so, okay, that's, obviously that, That's how I've always thought of it. You hear him go, ah, just unleash the full fucking fury of that lightning rod thing <laughs> that he has. Yeah, and I love when Batman takes it from him and just slugs him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, maybe you should get a strap for this. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you want to say about this first part? I don't really have any more notes. I, I'm eager to get on to episode two here. Okay, let's do it. Okay, episode two opens up. Um, Superman awakens and struggles to get this chunk of pavement off of him, and he notices gashes in his arms and chest and notices his powers are not working because he is under a red sun. Um, he has his communicator, which is still working. He tries to contact the Justice League, but uh, he can't reach any of them. But he is still able to get a faint signal from the watchtower, and so he gathers any supplies he can from the uh, chunks of Metropolis kind of laying about, and takes off in the 50 models, the 50s model Chevy to find the, the Justice League. <laughs> Several weeks pass here, because when we, next we see him, he has a full beard, and one night he camps in a canyon where some wolf-like mutants start attacking him, and he fends them off and fashions a crude sword out of a piece of iron, and... Days later, the Chevy runs out of gas, and the wolves attack him again, but he kills the leader and subjugates the rest of the pack into his own little sled dog team. So they pull him to where the signal from his communicator is uh, stronger than ever, and it's inside another canyon. So he ditches the wolves and climbs down into this kind of jungle-looking area, and there's these gigantic cockroach creatures swarming around the place. But Superman eventually does discover the Watchtower completely destroyed, just nothing but remains left of it. And the Javelin Bay door is still functional somehow, and it recognizes Superman and opens up. So he goes inside, and he 
looks on the computer and it says on the computer every member of the Justice League is either missing or has perished. And the power starts to run out and he's very frustrated here and suddenly a voice, you know, he's like, well, where is everybody? So a voice appears from behind him and says, they died, Superman, thousands of years ago. It is none other than Vandal Savage, the sole surviving member of the human race. And Savage actually seems happy to see Superman. Well, Uh, when you haven't seen someone in, what does he say, 30,000 years? Yeah, maybe. I know, I'm getting to that. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Uh, Yeah, he explains that Toy Man's disintegrator beam was actually a mobile tachyon stream that sent Superman uh, 30,000 years into the future. And he explains that just months after Superman disappears, uh, Savage built a device that gained control of gravity itself. And he procra- uh, proclaimed himself ruler of the Earth, and of course the Justice League would not allow that. So they went to stop him, but unfortunately Savage used his device and destroyed the entire League that day. But his device disrupted the gravitational balance of the entire solar system, killing the entire human race and leaving Savage the last one alive. And Superman at this point pummels Savage, but... After venting a bit, he just says, what next? And Savage simply says, lunch? <laughs> I love I love this episode. Yeah. yeah. So Savage, having a lot of time on his hands, um, has built a mansion in the middle of Metropolis with all kinds of amenities and thousands upon thousands of books on all subjects that he reads and he admits to keep from going insane. And he even built a spaceship that he was going to use to travel the cosmos and find new life, but he decided that he deserved to be punished in isolation on Earth. He uh, cooks Superman a delicious lunch, which I guess is kind of obvious since all he's been eating are purple things with spikes sticking out of them. (laughs) So later that night, uh, Supes is strolling around the mansion, and he actually sees a time machine like the one from the Savage time. He freaks out and runs to Savage's bedroom and is like, Savage, wake up! You've got a time machine! And Savage is like, yeah, built it years ago, but I lost... uh, I just kind of lost interest in it. And Superman is like, you fool! You can go back in time and stop yourself from destroying everything! Mm -hmm. But Savage is like, "Uh, nah-uh, I can't go back to any time where I already exist. And Superman says, right, but I'm already dead in this time. So Savage perks up, and they get to work on finishing the machine. But the portal cannot be sustained because it's taking up far too much power. And so Savage has only one other idea. Uh, Years ago, those cockroach creatures from earlier uh, broke into his compound and stole his zero-point generator, which powered his entire compound. It was this that led him to build... Uh, hydroelectric dam to power his mansion. And they do break in under heavy resistance from these giant roaches, but uh, Superman is able to get the generator and it restores his powers doing, uh, due to the fact that it's pretty much a miniature yellow sun. So they go back to Savage's mansion and Savage explains that four days after Superman's death, he stole a piece of dwarf star matter from Dr. Ray Palmer and he used this to build his gravity device. So he says, prevent my younger self from stealing it and I'll never be able to build the device. Superman asks what's going to happen to Savage, but Savage simply hopes for redemption if he's lucky and he wishes him well and Superman shakes his hand and leaps into the portal. Uh, Next, we go back to Metropolis where... Lobo is piling cars on top of a Calabac, and the League stops him. And uh, as the League stands in the street, Deadshot, from a building 
several blocks away, prepares to assassinate Batman. But Superman appears just in the nick of time and blocks the rocket that he shot from his wrist from killing Batman. Batman sees uh, Deadshot and hurls an electric batarang at him, which knocks him out. And uh, as the smoke from the rocket clears, the League sees the fully bearded and uh, none the worse for wear Superman. (laughs) And they're overjoyed, of course. Flash even cries. And Lobo, of course, horns in on the celebration, and Superman tells him to get lost. Superman then explains that they have work to do. They all fly off, and then we go back to uh, 30,000 years in the future where people start appearing, and uh, Metropolis uh, starts to appear, and it's all futuristic, and it's completely rebuilt, and Savage starts to fade away, and he simply says, thank you, my friend, and he just disappears amongst the crowd. This is such a kick-ass continuation of the first story. Yes. This is brilliant. I mean... It's it's just the Superman the animated series episode. That's all this is. It's not a Justice League episode until the last like two minutes. And for a good chunk of this, there's not really a lot of dialogue. Not until Savage pops up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big risk there. You know, it's Justice League cartoon without the Justice League and very 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 little dialogue. Superman barely looking like Superman. As you said, he's got a full shaggy beard. Uh, partway through. He's no longer even wearing the costume because he's he's got the, the 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 pack leader's pelt as as a makeshift makeshift cape um, and a whole new outfit. And then of course when Savage shows up, sure it starts to become a little Justice Leaguey again because he's you know we only know him as a Justice League villain. But at the same time, it's it, it was a risk on their part. It really was, and they pulled it off. Oh my God! And Savage, he's so much fun because yes, <laughs> you know, as you said, he's reading these books to keep his mind active so he doesn't go insane. But he's clearly gone insane. Yes, <laughs> I mean, not the raving lunatic sort of Joker Batman villain insane, but yeah, he's he's a little nuttier than he was before. But it's nice seeing that side of him. And a kinder side to him, a gentle side, a side that genuinely believes he did wrong and wants to to punish himself for it. And if there's a way to get redemption, even if that means wiping himself out, at least this, this future version of himself, then he will do it. Again, you know, we were talking about how there are a lot of deep aspects to the, to the first part. They continue them here with Vandal Savage of all people. Oh, wow. And then at the end, you know, the League's all happy to see Superman, and that's cool. And as you said, the Flash is crying. I got something in my eye. I think Green Lantern's like, yeah, it's tears. You know? (laughs) It's like, that's good stuff. Great, great stuff. Oh, I'm gushing. You go, please. Oh, I'm going to piggyback right off of here. I just love Vandal Savage's portrayal here. Mm -hmm. And it it was clearly Phil Morris's best job at voicing him. I, he just he really captures the essence of the old everyday savage, you know, the one who wanted to rule the world, and the new savage, the one who's clearly not all there, but realizes that his quest for power was meaningless. Just an awesome, awesome job. I mean, he's humorous in his on again, off again insanity, and then he's you know, he, yeah. and, and then he's stern in his moments of explaining the dismal situation. But then he's hopeful when Superman explains how they can right this whole situation. Yeah. It's just these very subtle voice inflections, but they were all just done flawlessly. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant job. And as I was saying, 
you know, we see this softer side of him. Like w once he reveals, he's like, yeah, I sort of suspected that the zero point generator would give you your powers back, but I didn't want to get your hopes up or mine. You know, your typical villain wouldn't think about that. You know, he doesn't care if, if the hero gets his hopes up and then has them dashed. But here, you know, he is Superman's best interest at heart. That's great. Yes, he has such great lines in this episode. I've got issues, what with my destroying the world and all. <laughs> yeah. I have to say that I'm not very familiar with Vandal Savage in the comics. Um, I really only know him from the Justice League cartoons. But I have to wonder if his design, as he's portrayed in the Justice League, is based on the original Roger Delgado version of The Master from Doctor Who. Because the outfit he wears is the exact outfit. Oh, Sa Savage has some white in it. But it's pretty much the exact outfit that The Master wore back in the 70s when he was introduced. And it's not something I really could have commented on when he first popped up, and I think he was wearing the same suit, because I hadn't seen that version of The Master yet. But now that Dan and I are covering the John Pertwee era of Doctor Who, I'm bigger on the inside. Ding! <laughs> I can, I can <laughs> see, you know, I can maybe say, hey, that that's that's what, where they got their... Uh, design for him from but then again maybe that's how he's always been drawn in the comics and maybe he predates the master in doctor who I, I really don't know that's why i wanted to stress that i just i don't know the character from the comics and another favorite exchange you're insane true but that doesn't mean i'm not good company Say, yeah. you want to come over to my house yeah. <laughs> awesome <laughs> Yeah, because as, as you said before about the, about the voice actor, you know, we got typical Vandal Savage there. Yes, I am. And then he's like, come over and play! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I was watching this, I was like, why the hell didn't he leave the planet? What the hell? And then he admits it's because he feels he deserves to be exiled or trapped on in this prison of his own making. And And since I said the word there, exiled, I should bring up that I have to wonder if Superman's look in this episode, not necessarily the story itself, though, but uh, Superman's uh, costume with the beard and whatnot, is, is based on a Superman story from the late 80s called Exiled. Because it's different in ways, but it's sort of similar in others. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, the only reason I even noticed it is because that was the first you know i'd read superman comics before then but that was the first time i had ever read a superman storyline because that spanned a whole bunch of issues so i have a very soft uh, a, a very deep soft spot for that storyline and then when i saw superman with the beard here and i've seen this one before but i forgot that he ended up with a beard i was like oh yeah i, I bet that's where they got that look from so just saying i am so glad that they didn't make Superman get weakened to the point of whimpering around by the red sunlight here. I hate when they do that. Thank God. They just, they did not do that here. And I praise them for that. Another thing I have to say about this episode, I love the music in this episode, especially when Superman goes into that jungle area where the watchtower is crashed. It's very, it's very Final Fantasy-esque. I gotta be honest, I really wasn't paying too much attention to the music. But yeah, it really did add a lot to the, because again, this, it's a very quiet first half of this episode so the music does have to it has to be strong or it's gonna really make the episode look weak oh yeah absolutely i i really enjoyed the the twist in this episode too throughout the whole thing you're thinking it's another planet and then we find out it's earth all along and 
you know, Superman's just been transported to the future. Because, I mean, you really don't see that coming. There's a red sun. It looks nothing like Earth. There's these mutant wolf things. You think it's just a desert? Not a desert, but an isolated planet. Nope. Nope. Earth. That was pretty damn cool, I thought. Again, I had seen this one before, but I forgot about that. <laughs> so, And I forgot Savage was in this one, too. I couldn't remember how Superman got back. So there were a lot of su- pleasant surprises for me here. <laughs> I think it's pretty uh, messed up to think that just a day after Superman's funeral, Batman was killed, too. Because if you think about it, Superman wasn't there. They cut, you know, they, when Lobo says, you know, who needs Superman? And the league all bows their heads. Oh, yeah. You think about it, right after that, Deadshot kills Batman. That's true. Superman is not there to save him. Yeah, wow. Because you're right, that's a weird moment where Batman's distracted. Normally he would catch something like that, someone trying to snipe him. Yep. But yeah, I hadn't... Wow, that's never dawned on me. So in two days, they lose pretty much the two most important members of the League. And there's something I want to bring up about the timeline. It's something I initially uh, had an issue with, but when I thought about it, I, I no longer did. Savage at one point says that a month after Superman's death is when he created that thing he created that fucked everything up. Then later he tells Superman that when he goes back in time, he has four days to stop his past self, his younger self, from stealing that thing from Ray Palmer. And then I was like, wait a minute, but earlier he said a month. But then it dawned on me, just because he stole it one day doesn't mean that's the same day he created the machine that fucked everything up. He obviously stole the thing, and then it took him a few weeks to finalize his device. So if anybody else took issue with the timeline there, there you go. That That's it, outlined. Did you notice some of the, like, well, not some of, but one particular item in the in the trunk of Superman's car? The light speed. Energy bars, energy bars with the flash on it and everything. Yes. <laughs> Great little bit of continuity. And uh, when Superman's fighting them wolves... Did you notice that he smashed one of them in the neck with that hammer of his? Yeah. I mean, I paused it at the exact right moment. I forget what I was doing. No, no. No, I saw it. I'm like, wait, did he hit that thing in the neck? Then I I, I went back, and I paused it at the exact moment that he hits it. And, okay, the wolf's alive later, but there's no reason it should be. Because its head is, like, at the top of the screen, its body is directly below the head, but the neck is bent, almost like a Looney Tunes character, you know? <laughs> he broke that fucker's neck. And then, when he has to face off against the alpha dog, and he's like, I guess, I guess it's just you and me. And it jumps at him, he starts swinging at it, and then we get the slicing down edit to the next scene, and he's wearing mm-hmm. the pelt. Whoa! Whoa! Brutally awesome! <laughs> Oh my god! Wow, I'm gushing yes. again. Say something. I <laughs> uh, I can't. That that was just fucking fantastic. <laughs> There's one thing I do want to point out that was actually a bit of a flub in the first part that they corrected here. When Lobo finishes Calabac, but he's still got the one car in his hand. In the first part, he throws it. It hits a building, and there's no. Uh, explosion sound effect. But when Superman comes back in time and we see their scene repeated, there is an explosion sound effect when it hits the building. Because when I saw it the first time, I was like, why didn't we hear that? It's close enough where we should have heard like a little something. And then they obviously noticed it when they were putting together this episode, but it was probably too late to correct it in uh, the first part. So good on them for fixing their little flub. I I keep gushing about this one, so... (laughs) I I don't have any more notes. (laughs) Okay. It's just, 
I've I've pretty much said all I can about this. <laughs> I love this episode so so dearly. Yeah, I mean, I, I just have to say, if you guys have for whatever reason just never seen this one, watch it. Oh my god! And wow. then watch it again. Yeah, you know, because you know, I knew this one was coming up, and so I was thinking about you know, you know, I, I've seen this one before, yada yada yada, and I always remembered that it was a pretty good one, but. I never really, like, I couldn't remember if I thought it was great or not. And then, upon rewatching it, obviously, you've heard us gushing for the past, like, 40-ish <laughs> minutes now, you know? So, clearly, it was a whole hell of a lot better than I even remembered it being. Here's how we do this little tango. I've tucked away a great big time bomb somewhere on the Vegas Strip. Only the Justice League can stop it. Because if anyone else tries, I press this and kablooey. No waiting. Now, I know you'll want to see the big bomb hunt from the best possible angle, so I've set up hundreds of cameras all over town. The League won't be able to burp without us looking in on them. And since every good suspense show has to have a ticking clock, here's mine. Oh, what were you expecting from me? A round number? Ooh, our very first remote's coming in. What's happening up there, Cupcake? Next up is Wild Cards. In the first part, uh, it starts out with a couple members of the Justice League. Uh, it's actually uh, Green Lantern and Hawkgirl, right? Messing around on a computer. Yep. Yeah. And they're, it starts out as if they might be in bed together, because we don't exactly see them at first. It's just Hawkgirl's saying some things that... um. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll use that as the outgoing uh, 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 soundbite that, that I use, just so you guys can hear it. But yeah, it turns out they're just looking at some bank records because they're trying to investigate something. And they then, once they have that, they radio to Batman. They're like, hey, you know, you, here, here's the information you needed. Batman goes to Vegas where he's talking to like a TV exec or something. Because uh, apparently the Joker has bought some time on this guy's network. And Batman is like, look, you have to cancel that. And the guy's like, it goes on in 15 seconds. Batman hands him the phone. The guy makes the call and says, look, just cut the feed. Cut it, cut it, cut it. They do. But we quickly see that the Joker bought time on all of the networks. There's nothing the League can do to to stop him at this point. The Joker, in you know, one of his grand I'm on TV schemes, reveals that he has planted a bomb somewhere in Las Vegas. The League, they set about trying to find the bomb. Uh, Superman flies up in the air. Oh, and it should be said that, I mean, the Joker's got cameramen all over the place. Harley Quinn is in a helicopter filming uh, some of the flight, uh, flights, fights from above. But yeah, so the joke, uh, the, the the league quickly finds the bomb. It's uh, as they're trying to dismantle it, though. The Joker reveals that he has an ace up his sleeve. Ha! Huh? Eh, anyways, uh, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> he, he actually has a team working for him, some cronies, and they are, you know, they're probably teenagers, maybe people in their like early twenties. That all you have... could even say they're Teen Titans. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, though. <laughs> but um, what do you call it? that? Was good. Um, uh, yeah, he, he's got this team working for him, and it's revealed they, they all have some sort of like mutant or superpower, and they were being experimented on slash trained by the government 
clearly for nefarious things. So he freed them, and uh, he then put them, he then gave them this, like, playing card motif, and they were so grateful to be out from underneath the government's thumb that they're willing to, to side with him. On the team, of course, you know, it's, it's Ten, Jack, Queen, King, and Ace. Uh, but, you know, Ten, he is pretty much as strong as and as invulnerable as Superman. Jack is sort of like a stretchy guy. The Queen is like Magneto. The King has fire powers. And though we don't really get a full grasp of her powers until the end, Ace is like a super psychic who inadvertently can drive you crazy. You know, she, she really, she's kind of like rogue. She doesn't really have control of her powers. The, the League ends up fighting them. Who dismantles the bomb? Superman or Batman? Well, Batman is at the bomb and yeah. he thinks that he's, he's disarmed. It. Right, <laughs> but it turns out that it's a fake and then the Superman goes up into the sky and, and figures out that there's 25 more bombs in the city. And the Joker's like, hee hee, whoopsie, I forgot to tell you. And uh, so the League sets about trying to find and dismantle these other bombs. Uh, is the cliffhanger this one of this one the explosion in the casino? I don't remember. I like because it's really just a lot of a lot of fights in this one. Uh, there, there. It's this isn't like the previous story where it's it's really deep. But eventually, at one point, Green Lantern and Hawkgirl they end up at another casino, and they're trying to disarm the bomb. And what happens? Somehow the bomb gets triggered. Well, Hawkgirl is butting in and butting in and. Jail's just like, maybe you should just shut up and let me do what I'm doing here. Right, because it calls back to them at the computer earlier in the episode, is what it does. Oh, yeah, Joker is like, hmm, something's going on between those two. Yeah. And then he's just like, what? he just starts going into this end of an episode question fest where, will true love conquer all, yada, yada, yada. Not on my show. Yeah. And does he trigger the bomb? Yes. Yeah, okay, so yeah, he triggers the bomb. And right before it can go off, John is able to use his ring to, like, throw Hawkgirl out of the building. He himself is not able to escape. It blows up, and is that is the cliffhanger, right? Yeah. Okay, I, I couldn't remember if there was much more after that. So, uh, what are you thinking here? I love this episode so much. And, and I really love it for how they sell Ace Yeah. Uh, in, in the Joker flashback. Because really, all you have to watch is Queen, who's arrogant as all hell. She's like, I'm the most powerful. And then the camera guy just pans over to Ace, who's just standing over there with her little teddy bear, and just yeah. in total silence. And she just like, she shuts the hell up and says, changes her tune. One of the most powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliantly done. Mm -hmm. I love I love that writing there. It was great. Yeah. And, uh, and I've mentioned this before on WFP and during our saw six review about how the clock motif here was done very very well have yeah. they never it never leaves the screen oh no. it's a little distracting i will admit but i like the fact that they kept it on the screen nonetheless because this way they couldn't fake the time you know well no i mean it leaves at the end but it's there for like let's say two-thirds of the episode there's still like seven minutes left going into the next episode. Oh, yeah, maybe it's the next. I thought at one point it lit, left the screen in this episode. But, yeah, right, it's probably the next episode where it does. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, you know. And I was surprised, too, because I don't think I've seen this one before. And I'm not a fan of the um, the Royal Flush Gang. 
because this is the first time we're seeing them chronologically in the mm-hmm. DCAU. We've only seen them in the Batman Beyond universe, if I remember correctly. And, I mean, you know, the the Terry-10 relationship... Okay, I won't say much more about that. <laughs> Don't want to get in trouble again. Bad, bad vibes, bad vibes. Yeah, but, you know, no, no, I mean, that was interesting... Yeah. Okay. Again, I'll try to. Uh, ooh, okay. Ooh, bad memories. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I'm flustered all of a sudden. But outside of that, I, I really didn't have much. Of, like the the gang never really appealed to me. I mean, the family dynamic was sort of interesting, but that was it. But here, you know, or I should say, so going into this one, I was like, oh god, I know this is the one where the Royal Flush Gang technically debuts. Uh, but they were pretty fucking cool and. You know, that might have been helped by the fact that they were voiced by James. The Teen Titans voice cast, folks. Oh, hell yeah. That was cool. So uh, let me let me see if I can remember. Uh, Robin was King. Cyborg was 10. Jack was Beast Boy. Now, these two I get mixed up. 10 is Starfire, right? And Raven is Queen. No, no uh, 10 was Cyborg. 10, I'm sorry. I, I meant Ace. Queen was Raven, yeah. and uh, Ace is Starfire. And what I like about that is they played against type there. You'd almost expect Raven, with her kind of voice like this, to play the, you know, Ace. Mm-hmm. But they, they switched us up. They swerved us. And I think it works better that way. I love Hinden Walsh's voice just as Starfire and as Ace, because they're completely different. But it's it's just great. Very creepy, but very very sad, and I I just love it. I will say, though, this is a complete fanboy thing. I'm not taking off a point or anything from the episode for it, but I really wish King and Batman could have tussled. (laughs) Teen Titans Robin, and the voice actor of, and and Batman going at it, but it it never happens. I don't even think they're in the same scene together, ever. I mean, maybe well, they are, but they they never trade punches. I mean, Batman's constantly fighting Jack, Beast Boy, which was a good it was a good fight for him because you know his powers aren't unlike Clayface's, right? You know, he's he's kind of used to fighting that that someone who can who can do that. I, I like the uh, we got a great reference to uh, the man who laughs, uh, the Victor Hugo novel, where the mm-hmm. uh, the, pro- the protagonist of the novel is named Gwynplaine, yeah, circus or who was abducted and scarred as a child he had a grin permanently etched into his face and i think bob kane actually did partially model the joker after gwynplaine yeah i think i've heard i think that's true yeah yeah yeah, very cool because for the longest time i didn't know what gwynplaine was yeah uh, yeah but then i i looked this up a while back and i remember that so cool very cool yeah i actually had to look it up after they said it because i'm like that is so random that that has to be a reference to something. The Joker's back. It's Mark Hamill. Yay! Woo-hoo. Yeah, I mean, y'all know I'm not a fan of Scooby-Doo, but the Scooby-Doo reference was hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, he's sitting there giving the origin of the Royal Flush Gang, and he says, in reference to the government, and they would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for me meddling with the kids. <laughs> I was like, great line. Made even better by the fact that Hamill voices many characters in those new Scooby-Doo direct-to-DVD movies. I didn't know that. Okay, that's cool. Very cool. I think my only gripe with this episode is just how in the hell did they pick out the one of the fake ones amongst the other 25 bombs? 
I mean, unless uh, you want to say that Joker had like all but one encased in lead shielding or something. But then Superman wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have been able to find them. But we only know that a couple of those bombs are real. The one that takes out Green Lantern and the one that the Flash at the end. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves at the the, the, the very last one that Flash. Well, doesn't defuse. Those are the only two that we know are real. It's true. So it could have been just sort of like 12 and 13, or he technically had 26 bombs, the first one and the 25 more. 13, 13, mm-hmm. who knows? We really don't. Did you notice that there was a Sherlock Holmes-themed casino there? Yes. Yeah, real briefly, all we see is what, 22B? Baker mm-hmm. Street or something like that? I was like, oh, yep. a nice, nice little thing they just threw in the background. That was That was kind of neat. And it's it's a little cheesy, but I love the shit with the old lady too, because we get some of it here, and we get a payoff at the end. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which I will yes. mention in just a few minutes when I start to recap part two. <laughs> but she's funny, you know. She's like, "Well, the machine's got to pay out eventually." <laughs> she doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Joker's like, "Man, I love this town." Yeah. <laughs> uh, should we get into the second part, or do you have more to say about this one? Oh shoot! Let's go to uh, number two. Actually, before we get on to, to the last part, one of the things, or not the last part, but the second part, one of the things I want to bring up is I love when the Joker brings up the clock, and it's just some random number, and he's <laughs> like, what, did you think I'd choose a round number? <laughs> 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 just, it's, it's funny because he's talking to the DCAU audience, but he's breaking the fourth wall at the same time, explaining why the timer isn't. 25 or 20 or 30 you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah he's, he's talking to both us the real audience and the fictional audience that was good very and he's good one joke. of those rare characters who can get away with breaking the fourth wall right because it's not an overt breaking of the fourth wall because he is actually talking to an audience in the universe but again talking to us <laughs> mm-hmm. um okay so the second part begins and, uh, you know, that, that casino is in rubble. Hawkgirl is totally flipping out. She, she runs over to John's body, and he's dead. His heart has stopped. And she tries CPR. She tries banging on his chest. <laughs> she grabs her mace. And I'm like, is she going to hit him in the chest with the mace? But no, what she does is, remember, the mace is electrified, and she uses a very small jolt to shock John's body brings him back to life, and as he's waking up, but he's still sort of out, out of it, she, she starts to say, oh my god, there's so many things I wanted to tell you, and he's like, like what? Uh, she reports to Batman, or Batman actually calls on her, and he's like, what's going on over there? There's more bombs, we have to deal with these, and she she's like, yeah, well, you know what, fuck you, John is literally just died, I'm out of here. So she takes him back to the watchtower, and we actually don't see them until the end of the episode. Really, the bulk of this episode is just the Justice League taking on the. Uh, I keep wanting them call calling them call them the Wild Cards because of the name of the episodes. But you know the Royal Flush Gang bombs are being diffused left and right. Fights are happening all over the place. There's a really great scene where Superman is fighting Ten on top of this Statue of Liberty, and not the Statue of Liberty, but you know like one that would be like at New York, New York, and. Superman just uppercuts him, like, into orbit, defuses the bomb, and he comes back down, and Superman takes him out. <laughs> Great. Yeah, now where were we? Yeah, exactly. It's brilliant. So, you know, all that's going on. In the meantime, you know, they're continuing to build up Ace. 
is just like, I mean, they're just really putting her over. And, uh, and she's just sitting there, not doing anything. At one point, Harley's helicopter comes down because Batman pretty much, how does he trick Jack into, maybe he doesn't even trick him, but he does something that forces Jack to get stuck around the propeller, right? Yeah, he just grabs his arm and flings it into the propeller. That's it, yeah. The, the helicopter that she's in comes down, and he starts talking to her, trying to play the mind games with her, as he always does. Because, you know, he doesn't want to smack Harley around. He really doesn't. So he finds other ways to uh, beat and subdue her. And, you know, he, he's talking to her, and he shows her the screen with the Joker getting very comfortable, we'll say, with young Ace. And Harley, uh, she gets jealous, and if I remember correctly, she knocks Batman on his ass. Yeah, just punches him, slugs him right in the face. Yeah, and the Joker's even like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so Harley disappears for a little while, more fights, more bombs being diffused. Uh, eventually, Harley ends up in the studio, she starts yelling at the Joker, and he's like, yeah, you are my number one gale. Ooh, 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 I didn't mean to call back to that. You're my number one gal. <laughs> so, uh, so, so nice. they hug. Thank you. They hug, and he's like, you know what? I, I know you'll always come back to me, but the problem is you led Batman to the doorstep because they had no idea where the Joker was. So he, you know, they cut away. We don't see it, but we see the aftermath. He smacks Harley around, knocks her on her ass. Batman and uh, the, the Joker, you know, they're about to start going at it. Uh, oh, 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 I completely skipped over something. I was wondering if you are going to go back to that. At some point, the Joker reveals what Ace's power is, and he's been using it. You left out where they diffused the last bomb, how Flash gets... I thought that was a little later. Oh, but you're right. Okay, I'll get to that, too. I'll get to that, too. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm, I, I really did just think it was all punchy, punchy, bomb, bomb, type thing, to paraphrase Tom DJ. <laughs> but, okay, so at one point, the Joker reveals that Ace's power is that she gets into your head and she drives you crazy, and he's been having her use it the whole time on the television audience, which is numbering at least 60 million, as he reveals. So we start seeing, like, the production crew... Cl- the production crew, I should say, just going nutty. Some guys have rats crawling on them. And speaking of rats, did you notice that random guy in a rat suit walking in the background with a mug of coffee? Yep. I, I know that's referencing something. I think it's like an underground or an indie comic, but I don't know what. If anybody knows what that is, please write in. But regardless, we see some guy thinking there's rats crawling on him. Another guy pretty much turns into clay face and just melts all over the control board. They're all just losing their mind. So, so... That's going on. So Batman, he needs to go to the studio to stop Ace. Meanwhile, you know, the final bomb's about to go off. Ten, who is impervious to all pain. Again, I said he's almost as strong as Superman. He's standing there, and he's he's gloating that this bomb's going to go off, that he's distracting Superman. Flash is there, too. He's sort of knocked out. King is there as well. And Superman's like, look, this bomb's going to go off. It'll take you with it, which... I somehow doubt, because it doesn't seem like that big of a bomb. But regardless, he's like, so what? I'll win, because he'll think he thinks Superman will die from it, too. And King, all of a sudden, is like, whoa, wait a minute. I can't survive this. And he's like, I'm out of here. So he runs away. Superman's take, you know, continuing to take on Tenny. Signals Flash to get up. Flash, he can't defuse this bomb in time. There's It's like ticking down. Three, two, one. And he takes a big risk, because something happened in the... 
it might have been the first part, it might have been the second, I don't remember. He tried to move a bomb, and the Joker was like, uh, 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 there might be a motion detector on it, care to test me? So the Flash defuses that bomb in the past, but this one he just does not have the time to do. So again, takes a big risk, grabs it, and just runs away, and we see, or we hear an explosion, and the Joker's like, whoa, 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 what just happened? Let's see that in super slow-mo. So we see from all these different points of view, all these different cameras, the Flash zipping out of the casino and running out into the Nevada desert, we just see an explosion, and then in the next instant, uh, he's standing next to Superman, and he's just like, hey, how's it going? Superman melts uh, some sort of statue, uh, not a statue, it's the, uh, what's that monument, the Washington Monument? Yeah. Yeah, it's the Washington Monument, he melts it all over, um, what's his face, all over 10, you know, subduing him finally, and uh, then we cut back to the studio, the Joker... Uh, you know, at this point, Ten's powers, he's got, he's got her powers fully unleashed. Because Batman's in there, he starts just seeing all these crazy images. But he's still fighting. He has to get to the Joker. And uh, he finally gets up to him. The Joker's kicking him around. He's like, man, I've never seen you fight this hard. And at one point, Batman, it looks like he's going to, like, maybe choke the Joker or just knock him around. But he actually reaches inside Joker's coat, and he pulls out, like, a metal headband, which we saw in the first part when he saw the origin of the wild cards, um, which can be used to uh, subdue, to nullify uh, Ace's power. Now, it should be noted, Ace's power... Joker says doesn't work on him because he's already crazy. Anyways, when Ace, she sees this headband, she gets mad because now she's like, wait a minute. You know, she she's thinking about something the Joker said earlier. Where he's like, I'm not afraid of you. I understand you. But here he was lying because he had a, well, I hate to say it again, but he had an Ace up his sleeve. So she stands up. She stops using her power on everybody who's watching and Batman and walks up to the Joker, and she starts kind of, I don't remember if it's word for word, but she sort of starts, at the very least, paraphrasing what the Joker said earlier. And he's cowering in the corner. He's legitimately scared. We've never seen the Joker this scared before, not even of Batman. And she touches his head and sends him, like, mentally just spiraling out of control. He just ends up in a drooling, catatonic state. Batman, he's watching Ace as she walks away. I forget what their exchange is. What is it? It's something like, where are you going? And she says, nowhere. Mm-hmm. That's it. And uh, so so she walks off, and ah, from there, I almost forgot about this part. It's kind of the most important part of the episode. Okay, we cut back to the watchtower, and we see that uh, John is laying in a bed in the sick bay. Notice how kind of somber I got when I went to this when I went to this scene. Somber is not the right word. Maybe soft. You know, uh, Hawk Girl is looking over John. He starts waking up, and she's like, "No, you really should go back to sleep." And he's like, "I'm not tired anymore." And there are some things we need to talk about. And she says, "No, it can wait." And he says, "I'm tired of waiting." And he says, "Look, I have feelings for you, and I know you have feelings for me." And uh, she sits down on his on his bed, and they, they get really close, and he reaches out, and he grabs her mask, very gently, I should say, and he, he, like, he, he just holds it for a second, and she closes her eyes, and he pulls her mask off. So uh, I believe this is the first time we ever see Shayura's face. Mm-hmm. Turns out she's a ginger. Woohoo! And as if we didn't know that before. I mean, her hair was sticking yeah. out, of course. And, and she has green eyes. Green eyes, too. Mm. And... Uh, uh, they they lean in and they very passionately kiss and uh, they hold the kiss for quite a long time. The producers do and oof, no pun intended. We pull out and see the space station and you know we we know what's going on. It it doesn't need to be said. 
But then they decide to, well, kind of say it when uh, <laughs> you think we're going to roll to the credits. But no, we cut back to ding, 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 ding. And we see the old lady at the slot machine again. <laughs> she hits the jackpot and says, well, it's about time. Oh. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, and then we finally get the credit. Fan <laughs> fucking fantastic. It's one of those things where they're sort of like, they, you know, they weren't even trying to go over the kids' heads with that one. You know, I think even like a six-year-old watching that is going to get what that joke means. The six-year-old, I don't think, is going to think that they're having sex, but they know that they mean it's about time that they're finally kissing. So... <laughs> <laughs> really fun stuff this the, the first part the second part and that ending there uh what do you think in here i love the animation of this episode with all the all the guys just losing their losing their minds mm -hmm. and the dude one dude has a snake start coming out of his mouth and yeah, yeah i forgot about that guy yeah when batman starts going crazy he, he vomits <laughs> yeah he does yeah yeah and he sees frogs and people walking upside down on the ceiling it's just awesome awesome stuff I've said it before and i say it again. I love the Ace character. They built her up so well through the, whatever, 75% of this episode until they finally revealed it halfway into the second one after yeah. Flash defuses the last bomb. Yeah. And Joker's like, oh, by the way, I have this, uh, yeah, like you said, Ace up my sleeve. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, by my calculation, 60 or 70 million of you have been watching this, and that was the point all along, just to get as many of you watching as possible. <laughs> You're all witness to my greatest joke ever. And in just about five minutes, you'll all be hopelessly, incurably insane. Yeah. I should note, Joker kicks Batman in the junk about three or four times. Oh, does he? I missed it each time. Wow. Well, they didn't really, they didn't specifically show it, but with the crunching and everything. And then one, one time Batman's just like, <laughs> clearly got kicked in the nuts, which unfortunately reminded me of death of Batman, but. <laughs> just a couple of little things I, I gotta mention here like there's that moment where the Joker is standing in front of the big monitor and the camera it, it's doing that thing where it's filming the screen and it's it's replaying it over and over so it's like when you put two mirrors together and yes. you get that really neat infinity effect like wow that was awesome there's another moment where the joker shows an image of the justice league just a static image it's not of them fighting or anything and that image is an homage to the i want to say justice league international days the the dimitaeus uh giffen era of the justice league that cover has been parodied or i shouldn't say parodied homaged so many times by DC itself, with other Justice League covers, by other comic book companies, and it was nice to see it thrown in here. Um, let's see, there was that. What else was I enjoying about this? Just little things. Oh, Superman's fighting skills against Ten. I mean, sure, he does the thing where he knocks him into the air, diffuses the bomb, and then finishes him up later, but there's that moment where they're fighting in the casino and he pulls a Batman move. I mean, because when, when we think of Superman, we don't really think of him having fighting skills because he doesn't really need them. He's just a brute force, you know? But there's that moment where Ten throws a punch at Superman and Superman traps Ten's arm underneath, like, his left armpit and just holds it there and starts pummeling Ten. 
and he's walking mm-hmm. ten. I mean, Superman's walking forward, but he's walking ten backwards, completely in control of this guy. That's a legit fighting technique that they threw in there, and it's never said. But I would like to think that he probably learned that from Batman. Batman has probably told him, look, you might come up against guys like the Weather Wizard or Toy Man who you could knock out with just a flick of your finger, sort of like he did with Grodd at the end of uh, <laughs> Secret Society in, in episode 75. Um, I had to remember what episode we're recording here. And, uh, you know, but he's like, but there's going to be other times where, you know, I imagine Batman saying to Superman, we're going to have to face dark sides and metallos and you can't necessarily take them out that quick you have to learn how to fight and not just throw a punch but actually defend yourself and man he was doing it there oh 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 uh i should i should note there is a slight flub at one point though there's a moment where the flash wraps king in the bandages of that mac mummy and Uh he only leaves i think like his eyes unbandaged maybe his mouth too I mean, but the top of his head, his chin downward, all wrapped up. But when Ten's laying down on the ground, his head, the top of his head, his scalp is no longer covered. Just a very slight flub, but it needed to be said. Did I say Ten? I meant King. Sorry. I'm getting them all confused. Calling Ten Ace, King Ten. You called the Royal Flesh Hang the Wild Cards again in, I, I, in your yeah. summary episode, too. <laughs> yeah, it's hard enough for me not to say the Teen Titans and Beast Boy and Raven and, you know... <laughs> So Soon enough. One more month. Yeah, I know. So pardon me throughout this whole thing. I know I've been flubbing it. I'm really sorry, guys, but I think you know who I mean. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have any more any more notes about this one. I, 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 most of my notes were for the first one, but again, my main note about this one was just how they just how they totally put Ace over. Yeah. I just want to say two more things about this one. One, again, this is a total fanboy thing, not holding it against the episode. I would have liked it if Ace's power, I had to pause there to think, Ten or Ace, Ace, <laughs> if her power would have driven the Joker sane and not further into insanity, like it had a counter effect on him, it cured him. And then, if, you know, no big deal. He just is driven in, like it wears off eventually and he's driven insane again and that's how we ended up with the Joker that we got in Return of the Joker. Which I wonder about because, you know, when did the Joker gain his sanity back? Because this happens chronologically before Return of the Joker. Yeah, what I'm thinking is the Joker's mind is so messed up that I think that, for lack of a better word, it cured itself by... Because we don't know what's wrong with the Joker. You know what I'm saying? I think everything's wrong with the Joker. So I think at some point it sort of healed and whatever part was driven insane by Ace is still totally catatonically insane. But his brain has healed in a way that it's accessing another insane part of his brain. I mean, that's me overanalyzing and I know, but I I, kind of have to find a way to justify it. Because I really don't see Mm -hmm. any doctor in Arkham trying to cure the Joker. So I think his body had to do it by itself. And the other thing I want to bring up, which we really haven't touched on outside of the synopsis, is the final moment, the payoff between John and Shaira. What are you thinking here? I loved it. It was great. Because, you know, you and I both know what's going on in the Watchtower there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. I'm, With those I, wings glad. and the ring, oh, all the things they could do. Mm. Pretty much, Yeah. <laughs> You said it better than I could. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, all, all preferred joking aside, I 
really thought it was so romantic, especially mm-hmm. the taking off of the mask. It was so slow. And like I said, John kind of pauses. He wants to make sure she wants this. And she closes her eyes. She, she grabs his wrist when she, right when he starts to do it. Right. She just grabs his wrist and, and he's like, he just stops and, yeah. and she just lets it, lets it go. Yeah. And then, you know, her hair falls into her, into her face, all very, you know, sensually. And like I said, they, they kiss and they do not break away from that. They pull back, and then, you know, we get the shot of the outside of the watchtower with the moon glowing in the background. It it truly was the best payoff they could have given us with those two. I didn't know in what episode they finally consummated their love, but uh, I I knew it had to be coming up because, you know, we've got Starcrossed next time on this show. So I knew it had to be here or comfort and joy, and I couldn't remember. I mean, I remember what comfort. I remembered what comfort and joy was about, but I couldn't remember if if the kiss finally happened over there. The ice planet's orbit is stabilizing. These two worlds will never collide now. The Nomitians are sending us their expressions of relief and gratitude. Nice way to kick off a Christmas break. I second that. GL? You guys go ahead. I'll catch up with you later. I'll hit you right back with GL. How about you, big guy? Any holiday plans? I'm afraid this season has no meaning for me. Whoa. Frosty. We'll have to do something about that. Lastly, up today is Comfort and Joy. This is the only one-part episode of Justice League, and as such, it's not exactly critical to the overall story or anything. It's uh, it's kind of a three-pronged story here. We've got uh, the Justice League uh, is saving a planet from colliding with another, and the five present being Flash, Superman, Hawkgirl, Green Lantern, and Jean. They do save this planet they, because the planet the 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 creatures of this planet actually somehow contacted the league and they did their job. And so they, after they're done, they decide, Hey, this is what I'm going to do for the holidays. Cause it's, you know, two, like a day or two before Christmas or something. And they all split up on, you know, to spend the holidays in their own fashion. And Sean in particular seems very indifferent, if not, you know, quoted to, to coin a phrase here, cold to this idea of Christmas. But, uh, Superman is like, you know, I'm going to have to change that. And so uh, they all split their separate ways here. Flash goes to an orphanage in Central City, and he's tasked with getting the latest toy for the kids, that being DJ Rubba Ducky. <laughs> and may, I, may, may I explain DJ Rubber Ducky, please? You may. You okay. may. Imagine Howard the Duck from, you know, <laughs> Howard the Duck, mixed with Poochie from The Simpsons. <laughs> that makes farty noises. And there you go. And, and you know, it's supposed to be like a Tickle Me Elmo type thing. So, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway. And the Flash loves um, it. He thinks it's great because he's immature. I love exactly. it because I'm immature. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so 
uh, Green Lantern and Hawk Girl, they go and have a snowball fight, and they have a great time of it. Well, at least GL does. Uh, they use their powers in different ways to just shovel snow all over each other, and Hawk Girl isn't really thrilled with this, but she has a better idea. Let's go off to a bar in a distant star system and have a good old-fashioned brawl. <laughs> and uh, in the other part of this story, Clark takes Jean to Smallville with him to spend Christmas with the Kents. The Kents are, you know, of course, very welcoming to Jean, and they make him feel right at home, putting him in Kara's room. Flash ends up finding the uh, DJ Robaducky toy, but uh, he has to tangle with the ultra-humanite who's escaped from prison and uh, during the fight, Humanite he knocks Humanite on top of the toy and okay. crush and he crushes it, destroys it. Flash is like panicking. He, he hurls uh, Humanite off of the toy. <laughs> it's great, and and he's just like, well, you might as well shoot me now. I mean, I, I I can't even feel any worse. So, Humanite takes the gun, clubs him in the head. Next thing we see is uh, Humanite repairing the toy for him because they come they've come to an understanding. Flash kind of convinces Humanite, who can't stand the holidays that uh, goodwill and passing it on to children is a worthwhile goal for the holidays and everything. Uh, they go to back to the orphanage, and a humanite has altered the toy's uh, audio box to say, uh, tell a Christmas story to the kids. And the kids are not happy about this at first, but then, then they seem to like the thing telling the story. It's kind of neat. And uh, humanite's taken back to prison, and Flash gets in this little aluminum Christmas tree thing that humanite says he had when he was younger and so flash leaves and then last i think last we see before we go back to smallville is a uh, the brawl that hawk girl started has died down and she kisses john on the cheek and they fall asleep in the middle of this just drunken chaos <laughs> uh that's completely died down but and then like i say we go back to smallville and john is I, I can't remember if he's on the roof or if he's just out in the field and he's actually humming a song or singing a song. Well, did you talk about him roaming the town? Oh, that's right. He goes into John Jones, uh, his first, this is his first appearance as John Jones. Right. Uh, his Earth, his Earth, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Identity. Uh, identity, yeah. thank you. <laughs> but yeah, he, he starts roaming the town, and I don't remember a whole lot of what he what happens well, when he Well, if goes. you don't mind me jumping in. I mean, you help oh, me out. Please, so, um, please do, please do. He, he, he turns that... In, into that intangible form and he's floating through the house and he's you know through the kent home and he sees clark <laughs> trying to x-ray vision the presence and he's like lead like lead wrapping and which of course calls back to a line earlier when they had when the kents are like yeah we had to wrap his gifts in, in lead paper so he couldn't snoop <laughs> and he kind of looks at them like he kind of gives him that like i didn't do that kind of guilty <laughs> look and we but we catch him doing it as an adult um <laughs> I just have to interrupt myself here and say I love how childlike Superman Clark is in this episode. He clearly oh, yeah. loves Christmas. He's bouncing around. He's so happy to be home and celebrating the holidays. Pa, you know, that's my job. Yeah, yeah, turning on the tree, yeah. John then leaves that scene, and he floats into the kitchen, and he sees the Kents. They're, like, making cookies or doing dishes or something, and they, they share a nice little moment, a, a, a quick little kiss. He floats out, and he starts roaming the streets, as, as James said, as John Jones, no apostrophes, and uh, what do you call it? You know, some, some people wish him, you know, happy holidays, and he hears some carolers, and as he's walking around, he, he notices one house, there's sort of a, 
maybe there's a light on, maybe there's not, I don't remember. But he hears this little girl's thoughts and she's crying. Ah, yes. Because what's happened is her brother has apparently told her that there's no such thing as Santa Claus. And she's like, no, I know there is. I know, I know. And I know he'll eat the cookies like he does every year. And John, he kind of gets this smile on his face, very sly smile. And he... Well, we don't actually see him transform into Santa Claus, though he's pretending to be nonetheless. And he clomps on the rooftop so she can hear him. And we cut to the like her front room, and we see his hand come out from the fireplace, and he happens to steal a cookie. The cookie just happens to be an Oreo, which, of course, in the comics, Martian Manhunter is literally addicted to. There's something about the cookies that... Are sort of act like a drug to the Martian. And, and you hear him, he just goes, mm. Mm, Yeah, nice little touch there. And then this goes back to what James was saying, where, you know, the next morning, Clark jumps up out of bed like any kid would. He's going to go and wrap his presents. And he starts hearing this 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 singing. He's, and he bumps into, not, bu- not bumps into, but, you know, walks up behind his parents. And they're they're all listening. They're allowing John his private time, but they're just listening in on John as he's pretty much singing some sort of carol. But it, it correct me if I'm wrong. It was it was wasn't in English. It was probably in Martian or Martianese. Yeah, or I believe. Yeah, it was probably Martian. And he's just sitting there petting Supergirl's cat. Woo! Didn't mean to imply anything there. Who, of course, it hissed at him earlier and ran away. So he's made peace with the world, with himself, and with the kitty cat. And that's that's how this one ends, right? Yeah, that's that's it. Thoughts? I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess this is gonna be our shortest episode review since the Zeta Project. <laughs> Why is that? I, I guess there's not a whole lot to say, truthfully. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's the only one part episode of the first two seasons, mm-hmm. and I mean, it, really, this episode could have just been calm before the storm. Yeah, I mean, that's really what they were doing here. This was the nice slow, quiet, breather episode. Yeah, we get fights in it with Ultra Humanite and the alien bar. You know, and, and you know, I, I understand why they threw them in. I'm not I'm not begrudging it that at all. I enjoyed all that stuff. But, you know, really this is the episode that's all about just taking a deep breath before that whirlwind hits us next time. And I and I like this episode, don't get me wrong. It's it's just, you know, it's not it's kind of outside the overall story, except for the kiss between, uh, or that you know, just the kind of peck on Jill's cheek from Hot Girl. Right. It, it, it's it's a really good story. It is. Yeah. It does mm-hmm. a really good job balancing, you know, the three different parts, yet keeping them all tied together, because it is all about the holidays and just enjoying each other's company during the holidays, you know, and, and we see that in its different forms, you know, Shaira showing, you know, John showing Shaira how he celebrates or how he used to celebrate when he was a kid. Um, and I should say, I like seeing the softer side of John that we've been getting in these episodes here, in this episode of WFP, because remember, I've been complaining, and I think you've been too, about how he's all very militaristic. No, we have to do this, and we have to do that. Just coming, kind of coming off like an asshole. And we don't see that at all in these three parts. We see a much softer side of him. So he shows her that, and then she shows him how she parties. And then, of course, you know, Flash convincing Humanite not to be a jerk at the holidays, and helping out the kids, and then the Kents, and John singing. And it was nice seeing just, just the different ways everybody 
because we don't all celebrate the holidays the same way. And so we shouldn't expect our fictional superheroes, aliens or human or otherwise, to do the same. I think it was, I guess, good to not have Batman here. He would have just been all moody and rained on everybody's holiday parades. Yeah, yeah. I mean, same with Wonder Woman, too. We already had two outsiders in this story in the form of John and Hawkgirl. We really didn't need a third. Couple little things I gotta bring up here. Uh, nice little mention of Batgirl, because they say that, that uh, Kara, she's what, skiing with Barbara? Mm-hmm. And something else I noticed was John Jones calls Superman Clark. So at some point, apparently, Superman has revealed his identity to the Martian Manhunter. Well, no, because what happens is uh, they go they go down to the uh, uh, the Kent's house mm-hmm. in Smallville, and uh, the Kent's of course greet uh, Clark and John at the door, mm-hmm. and they say, "Clark, you're home! Yay!" All this stuff, and uh, John says, so, "Or Clark was insistent that I come." Well. So, I'm, I think that was the first time that he heard his real name. No, I'm 99% sure he called him Clark before they went into the house. I really don't think so. I, I, if I'm right, I like how that came off, actually. How he's just like, oh, Clark, yeah, he has a human name. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really think he called him it on the porch, and even if he didn't do that, I have to believe he would have said, my name is Clark Kent, before they flew to Smallville and met his parents. This is true. Let's see. Uh, at the bar, there's a random walk-on cameo by Swamp Thing. Swamp <laughs> yes, Thing just randomly yes. walks in the background. I don't know what he's doing out in space and not on Earth, but okay, whatever. And <laughs> I have to say, the greatest line I've ever heard in a cartoon ever has to be, I kind of liked it when he made the poopy noises. <laughs> Flash's reaction to the DJ Ducky thing after the Ultra Humanite tweaked it. I kind of liked it when he made the poopy noise. But this will do. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, that has to be the greatest line ever. Because they obviously couldn't say... My watch is 10 seconds fast. That's a great line. It really is. But the Flash getting away with making a fart joke. (laughs) And he just looks so disappointed. And he's wearing the Jolly Santa beard. You know? Oh, yeah. That was great. But even though you can't see the frown on his face because the mustache is blocking it, you can still see by the way his eyes are. (laughs) He's like, oh, he's not doing a thing with his butt. And then he has he has Humanite wearing the Scrooge hat. Yeah. It's great. Well, the cover is Big Brain. <laughs> and what does yeah. he call him? Uh, some, what's he call him? Something the Snowman? Uh, like, not God, I don't remember. Ugly the Snowman? No. No, no. Um, Grumpy the Snowman? What was it? Grumpy. I think that was, yeah, I think it was Grumpy the Snowman. No, yeah. I think it was something else. Something, I really want to say it was something along the lines of Ugly. I, really I, do. no, I, I don't think it was ugly. I really do think it was grumpy. I want to throw the disc in now <laughs> to see, but I'll, I'll, I'll check later, and our listeners can can write in and, and tell us in case I forget to throw the disc in. Um, anything else you want to say about this one before we get on to our scores? No, I, I, I love this batch of episodes. This was great. Yeah, you know, I, I want to say I, too, have noticed, just like our listeners have noticed, that I've been really down on the Justice League as of late. Yeah, that's because I don't think the episodes as of late have been that good. So, yeah, I just I just have to throw that out there. You know, I'm not being 
down on them lately just to be down on them, just to be negative or anything like that. And I don't want to say anybody's been implying that. I just want to nip that in the bud before anybody starts thinking that. But these three right here, I only wrote down a score for one of them. The other two, I don't know what I'm going to score them, but I can guarantee you nothing is going to be lower than an eight. I can guarantee you that right <laughs> now. So let's find out what these scores are going to be, starting with Hereafter. I want to give this a 10 so, so badly, but, but it just the, the thing with... No, you know what? I am going to give it a 10. It's just, I don't... Maybe that isn't enough to... Because, I mean, because that whole episode, first episode, happens in the span of about 36 hours, so... Well, I don't know about really that, because there has to be enough time to plan... You know, funerals really aren't planned that quick, and when it's a celebrity, it usually takes a little longer. I'd say it's probably more by, like, at least five days. Hmm. Good point. Think about, like, when Michael Jackson died almost a year ago. It, it was probably about a week, I want to say, before they got to his wake and his funeral, and now we're talking about Superman. Someone who everybody on the planet pretty much reveres. It's going to take a good long time. And that's something I do want to bring up that I didn't bring up when we were discussing it. The, the turnout, the number of people at the monument, you know, when he's being in, what's the, what's the phrase, interned? Is that it? I guess. Yeah, you know, when, they're guess, bringing, yeah. when the pallbearers are bringing the casket to the thing. Um, kind of a small turnout. It's Superman. You know, the streets of Metropolis should have been packed. Not holding it against it. You know, because they could only draw so many people or so many little dots representing heads. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I think the turnout should have been a bit more. But, uh, yeah, I, I really have to think it's been at least five days since since Superman died. Okay, I'm going to give this a 10, but this may be one I come back to. I don't want to come back to it and grade it down to a 9, but maybe I'll just come back to it and say, no, I'm going to keep it a 10. Okay, but it's it's the Kent thing that's really kind of getting under your skin, right? It is. It, it, just, it does get under my skin. It really does. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I don't want it to, mm -hmm. but it does. No, I, I understand where you're coming from, but for me, I think I want to score this one an 11, and I'm going to bring it down <laughs> to a 10 because of the Kent thing. I can't begrudge you that feeling at all. Yeah. I love the episode for how it shows how much Superman means to the league. Because at times in Justice League, we've seen Superman get ki get kicked around a lot. But really, this one puts Superman back over if he needed to be yeah. and, at all. And that's something they, they bring up in the episode. And we didn't touch on it during our discussion of it. Is There's a couple of points where the league discusses disbanding. Because Superman isn't there. In the uh, A Better World, they talk about the, the Flash being the heart of the team, and that's why that, that version of the League went rogue. But here you get, you get a sense that Superman is also the heart of the team, if you can have two hearts to a team. You'd have to be a Time Lord for that to happen. Yeah, another reference to Doctor Who and Bigger on the Inside. Anyways. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, okay, next up, Wild Cards. Yeah, I'm going to give this one a 9 because I think the bomb thing, where Superman just happens to catch a bomb without noticing the other 25 littered around everywhere, that does bug me a little bit. But still, utterly, utterly brilliant episode. I love, I, it sucks that it's the last appearance of the Joker due to the whole bat embargo thing. But still, just a fantastic episode. Another personal favorite of mine. It gets a nine. I'm going to tell you how I can overlook Superman only seeing the one bomb. I think what happened was he quickly flew up into the sky and the first bomb he saw, he just thought was the bomb. And he's like, there it is. And they all rushed to it. Then when he flew back up, he was like, Oh my God, there's two dozen more. And because I can kind of write it off 
another ten. Has any one of either one of us given two tens in an episode before? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've got the spreadsheet open. I could look at it in a second here, but I don't know. I'm trying to remember the episode where we reviewed the late Mr. Kent. I want to say maybe we did on that one, but I don't remember. And the late Mr. Kent? No. Uh, that was episode 29. We covered prototype, the late Mr. Kent, heavy metal, double talk, and you scratch my back. Now, you gave the late Mr. Kent a 10, I gave it a 9, and double talk, we both gave 8s, but everything else was middle of the road, maybe slightly above, and then prototype. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wow, my mistake. Yeah, I'm really not seeing, again, I'm I'm just scanning through this real quick, I'm not seeing either one of us Again, giving two tens. You know, I, there's been episodes where we've both given an episode ten, but I mean, where one of us gave two tens in a grouping. Yeah, that, that just has. N- I don't think that's happened. But um, anyways, comfort and joy. This is kind of a weird one to grade, you know. Yeah, it's it's almost ungradable. It really is. I'm gonna give it an eight because it really is a good little story, but it's still it's just not you know critical to the storyline or anything but i mean still an eight's a fucking great grade i think they did the smart thing not just having a normal episode you know taking the breather that they did i think it's a very heartfelt episode uh, all all three parts did exactly what they were supposed to do you understand why the two leaguers who aren't there again batman and woman wonder woman aren't there you i mean if you just think about it you go yeah why would they be there it is almost ungradable but, you know, at the end of the day, we, we do have to grade it. And 10. <laughs> I mean... I, I, in I, my wildest dreams, I never would have imagined you giving three tens it, In one episode. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, let's look at my track record as of late. Maid of Honor, 8. Hearts and Minds, 3. A Better World, 5. Eclipsed, 3. The Terror Beyond, 3. The Secret Society, 4. Hereafter, Wild Cards, Comfort and Joy, and Star-Crossed Alt... Oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Whoopsie! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm sure you showed your hand there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, guys, really, it's just an awesome string of episodes. You know, I I don't regret that I've given the the, the last batch kind of crummy grades, because I really think they deserved it, just like I think all of these deserve tens. This is what we were thinking about way back when we first started Justice League. Right. We like, I, I, I wonder if, if we're going to give anything below a nine. Right. Yeah, we did and say that, This didn't is we? what we were thinking of right here. It just took them two seasons to get to this point. Yeah, I really think we were just remembering these last couple of episodes and stuff like, uh, I'm looking at the list here, Twilight, not the movie, uh, The Savage Time, and, and just going, yeah, those were really good. And, and even like Tabula Rasa, we both gave it sevens. You know, and Legends, 9 and an 8, respectively, you and me. You know, we're remembering those good ones, and there's these other ones that are middle of the road or worse, really, that we just like to forget. We pretend that they're not there, but they are, and yeah. It... I really want to get Wild Cards a 10 now. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it if you want, I mean. If I still have the opportunity, yeah. let's get yeah. It. I'm going to give it a 10, okay. because I like your explanation of how Superman, you know, he just sees one and just... <laughs> Flies down. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I can buy that. So, yeah, that was my only gripe with the episode. It gets a 10. Awesome. I won't wear it. Oh, come on. I'm wearing the beard. You don't want to scare the kids, do you? The indignity. Hey, kids. Santa Flash is back. Yeah! Flash! All right! Yeah! 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 Ye
along with my special helper, Freaky the Snowman. Just give them the toy and take me to jail. You sure it won't, you know... Oh, for heaven's sake. Hello, children. Come close and I'll tell you a story. Is that DJ Rubber Ducky? He sounds weird. Little Clara had just received a beautiful toy nutcracker from her godfather, the mysterious Herr Drosselmeyer. Well, an improvement, wouldn't you say? I kind of liked it when he made the poopy noise. That night, as Clara slept beneath the Christmas tree, her beloved toy came alive to lead her but on this a is good too. adventure. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP-0. 731-937-9370. And don't forget about our brand new t-shirts, which can be purchased at worldsfinestpodcast.com slash store or earth2.net slash store. earth-number2.net slash store. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss the final episode of Justice League, the three-part epic, Starcrossed. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Thank you.